Red Dead Redemption remasters lacking? And Haven Studios officially joins PlayStation. Well, hello, and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me is Onyx, because he will not leave the me alone. baby boy. Yeah, he's a, he's new cat at the house. Yeah, he's a very sweet boy. So uh, he's new podcast cat. If you've been around the show for a long time, you'll know that Tabby is, is OG podcast cat. She's still alive and kicking. Uh, she's just far more annoying. Uh, and also is not new to the house in terms of while we're podcasting. So Onyx is getting to stay with me to be comfortable. But I'm also joined by the man that was missing last week, uh, Mr. Saul Bridges. Saul Bridges, bring y'all lucky episode 269, and joined with us is also Chris. Oh, wait. Chris. Chris. Chris is, Chris is now the absentee for this week. He is yeah. under the weather, so everybody send him your best wishes. He is, uh, he is, um, quite frankly, on his deathbed. <laughs> no, oh, God, <laughs> always, no. He's he's doing fine. He's, um, according to Discord, he's playing Red Dead or not Red Dead Five. That would uh, that'd be interesting. Uh, Grant a lot of five as we speak. He's just feeling under the weather, and uh, henceforth. Every Red Dead sequel is a is a prequel to the previous game. So Red Dead Three is about like what the events that lead up to the beginning of Red Dead Two. <laughs> yeah. That's just the cycle. Red Dead Four is the beginning. Uh, you know how we get to the point of uh, of Red Dead Three. That would actually be really interesting, but also seems like that's be untenable after a while. But uh, if you're new to the show. Welcome, first and foremost. We hope that you enjoy what you end up listening to and stick around. Uh, if you end up liking what you're hearing, give us a, a review on uh, podcast services to let people know what you thought of it. Or just follow us to be part of the community. Uh, we'll get to that whenever we start to the community's take. But we always start the show off in a, a time-honored way of recalling the time that Saul and I smashed with a group of guys in the living room. Um, that was rather unfamiliar to us. So, Saul, would you like to recount that? <laughs> Yeah, so other we'll get to that in a second. I guess well, I guess I can lead into that by saying that um I haven't turned on my PlayStation 5 in 2 weeks. I'm, I think I'm really sure that's accurate for me as well. I I have played games this week, but just not my PlayStation 5. I'm actually I haven't played my Xbox either. I've only played my Switch in the past two weeks. Um, but it's okay, Saul, because you've been playing one of the best games the Switch has to offer. Yes, Pokemon Legends Arceus uh, is actually really good. Um, I didn't get to play it as much when it first came out because of Elden Ring. But um, I've been playing a lot of that. And I'm prepping myself up to go back to Monster Hunter Rise. For Sunbreak? Is that what it's called? Yeah, the DLC. I keep calling yeah. it Sunbreaker, but I think it's actually Sunbreak. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I, I I plan on that, but Pokemon Legends of Arceus is such a chill game where I don't feel like I'm ever in a rush to play, th- like play more of it. Well, no, not play more of it. I don't ever feel like I'm in a rush to get stuff done in the game because of time. Like typically lately... 
I have haven't had a lot of time to play games that I want to play. So I always sit down and I almost feel like I need to kind of rush myself. The only day of the week that I don't feel like that's a Saturday. But I typically am in Discord with the boys on Saturday. So like even then it's like sometimes I don't get to play exactly what I want to. But um, I get it. It's like you're going into a social situation, I suppose. And that's actually why I've not been doing the Saturday, Friday Discord call with the boys lately. Oh, it's just, it's just so busy. Okay. Well, either way, see, it goes so long it's been since I've been part of it because it was Friday last time that I was actively doing it. But I'm sure I they do. I don't, I don't hop in on Friday. That's, see, that's date night. See, that's, 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 that's going to be a conversation for next week. But, uh, um, it's weird. It's like Monday kind of relax after the first day of the work week. Tuesday, we have podcasts. Wednesday is kind of a, a, a break day slash a somewhat date night because, um, Thursday is Yu-Gi-Oh night and then Friday is date night again. But like tomorrow, this is going to lend more into the conversation next week. I get to go mow. So fun times. Have, yeah. I won't have tomorrow. Welcome to, welcome to the world anything. of having to mow constantly. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> Once again, we'll talk more about that next week. But um, yeah, so like I won't play games tonight. I might play a little bit of Legends of Arceus, depending on how long the episode goes when I go to bed. Um, sure. And then, well, like you said, it's such a chill game. It's it's real easy to pick up, play for a bit, and it then is. put down. The only it, it's it's a little. It defies time in a weird way, though. With so does Monster Hunter. You'll pick it up and be like, I'm just gonna hop on for like a few minutes. Oh yeah, you get hours. to playing, and then suddenly it's an hour later, and you're like. Ah, I really, I really kind of wish because I, I did, I did beat Resident Evil Four on the Switch, but I kind of honestly wish that I started up Legends of Arceus first, um, simply because I feel like that that game's going to take a lot of my time up. I don't feel like I feel like it was with Sword. Sword, I'm one of those people that really loves Sword. Sword's in like my top five favorite Pokemon games of all time. And when I first started playing that game, I could know I knew from the get go like this is gonna suck up a lot of my time, uh, in terms of like what I want to play. So mm-hmm. um, I've been playing Legends of Arceus. I have also been playing a little bit of Terraria or Terraria. I don't know why I always say Terraria, but Terraria. Um, but I, I keep playing it on the Switch, and I'm having a lot of fun. But it just makes me miss the time me and you played for like a hundred hours over the course of like three months or whatever it was. Um, yeah. That with friends is so much better. Um, I mean, we can hop back into Terraria. <laughs> it's time. It's time. Uh, it's just complicated on the Switch, which kind of leads into my my side of things. But go ahead and finish up what you were doing. It's just well, I was gonna say yeah. So it's it's been mainly a, a Switch week, two weeks. But I have also been playing on PC. Um, I've been playing uh, Escape from Tarkov. Um. Mm. I, I've heard that that game had a, fa- a lot of round of updates. Maybe even version 1.0 came out since I last played it, and I was an early adopter of that game. So I've re-downloaded it, and I, I you know, as we talked about Saturday Night Discord with the boys, uh, I was streaming it in there um, so they could watch me decide if they wanted to get it. And it's it's been fun. And that game's real tactical. It's real technical, too. So... It's kind of a lot to take on. It's like it's it's not the one game you want to play all week, at least for me. But uh, yeah, yeah, I could see that. Instead of the Saturday night Discord with the boys, it was Saturday night Smash Brothers with the boys, and that was fun. We went over to our buddy Jeffrey's house and had burgers, uh, and 
played Super Smash Brothers for a couple of hours and, and generally just got to hang out. And I think, and that was fun. Yeah, for sure. That's something that I, I hope we can make like a once a every other month kind of thing of like just having like a, you know, a fun night, video game night. It's something that's that, you know, we used to do every single day growing up with our friends is like every day was like, it was like, it was like that day. And now it's like, it'd be cool if we do it once a month. <laughs> Kind of. the, the car like the cold stomping reality of uh, uh well maybe we can get lucky enough to pull that off every now and then you know yeah so <laughs> um but yeah so that kind of wraps it up i don't like i said i didn't turn on my playstation at all i haven't played Elden ring at all ever since i got the platinum i kind of wind down winded down on that um let me ask you this do you think now that you have the platinum because you don't get them typically right and i not think a whole that lot yeah, you, it's been since what? Dark Souls three? Oh, you haven't gotten Dark I haven't Souls gotten the so It's been since Bloodborne. Since you've gotten a platinum? No, Blood, uh, Bloodborne was my first platinum. Oh, you're right. And then you had my Soundshape. Last Soundshape? Platinum, was Soundshape your last one? No, my last platinum was probably Hellblade. Did you get that one? Yeah, I did. I think it was Hellblade. I remember that you and I were talking about how I missed a single lodestone and I had to run back through it. Was it a lodestone you missed? I, yeah, because that was the only missable yeah, thing the, the in little, that game, I think. Yeah. Yeah, like the lore stone, whatever they're called. I'm going to call it lodestone. But um, yeah, man, that's been a long time. Well, where I was going with that is uh, does, even though you don't normally use them for this or, or do this, do you feel like you're going to take a pretty long break from Elden Ring because you've got the Platinum? Do you feel like that helps give you a stronger sense of finality with it? Or do you think much like your love for all other Souls games, even after the Platinum, you'll still find yourself back there not too long from now? Oh, I definitely will. Um, the So the Platinum was kind of by an accident. I just happened to be looking at the trophy list one day because I was like, there's no rings in this game. So what are they going to do with like... Like, how are they going to do, like, the Platinum? And then I looked, I'm like, this is actually a really easy Platinum uh, for what I had already had. Yeah. And I was already playing on a character of what I intended to be the DLC character. Because, like, they always do DLC either late into the game or, like, New Game Plus. Or it makes sense to do it midway through. So I wanted to have a blank slate, quote-unquote, character that had lots of weapons, lots of items, so that like when DLC time comes around, I can respect my character, go into a new game, plus plus, and then immediately like go towards the DLC. Um, so I probably will play more. I, I'm not burnt out on it, but I just feel done with it. I don't know if that's because of the Platinum or not. I'd actually, it might be, but I don't. It, it, it's not apparent that it is. Yeah, I would say like, I don't ever feel, or not all the time, right? Getting a platinum doesn't make me feel burnt out, but it puts like a nice bow on the game. If I can yeah. just kind of metaphorically do it to a where you feel like when you think about revisiting that game, it's like I've kind of given that game everything there is to give it, and that's not a bad thing. It's like a, but it to me, I think it getting a platinum when people ask like why I do it. It's not even really like, yeah, I'll, I'll tell other people I get Platinums and stuff, but I think the biggest thing for me is it helps me be able to get done with a game and then put it away without having to feel like I need to come back to it when there's so many things I've still yet to experience. Definitely right now when I have so much going on that I'm trying to get done outside of my hobbies because I haven't had a lot of time for them. So there's that part of me that's like when I do have time for a hobby, I'm going to stick with this one game and I'm going to beat it and I'm going to beat it so hard as long as I like the game enough. 
that I'll get the platinum and I'll never feel the need to come back to this game unless I just absolutely adore it. And even then, it's normally years apart. Like when I rebeat um, Nier Automata, I enjoyed every second of it because it had been so long since I'd done it and it's just a great game. Uh, but I didn't feel the need to have to go back to Nier Automata in the same sense because they're, it's like I've already done everything the game has to offer and the Platinum is proof of that. Uh, and that's not always the case. Some games you don't have to go that hard in on, but I personally, I like that feeling. And it, you know, when you're in a time period, it's part of why I don't really like games like Destiny and <laughs> whatnot because they suck your time away from being able to experience the other things that were kind of on your mental to-do lists, you know? Destiny was actually my last Platinum, Destiny 2. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah Destiny 2, Times 2, because I got it for the PS5 version too. <laughs> so technically it was your last Platinum and then your most recent Platinum before Elden Ring. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well... Yeah, I've been uh, I've been playing Monster Hunter Rise, which I know is part of why you were wanting to come to it. And I have to first address misinformation as I've played more and gotten there. Uh, I had mentioned that it felt like in this game, and I think I had mentioned that I'm not far enough. Maybe it's there, but you absolutely can knock tails off of creatures. So I don't know if they just if if my memory is stupid and I remember being able to knock limbs and tails off of every creature in the world, and maybe you can't do it here, but I've knocked a number of tails off of a number of things. Uh, I knocked a tail off of Diablos that I fought earlier. So so when I get that out there for anybody, I, I had put misinformation out there. Go ahead, Saul. Well, I was gonna say when you were saying that, it didn't occur to me that that was incorrect. But that could have just been one of those weird things that like I did and I didn't realize I was doing it. Or Excuse me. Um, or I did it, and um, I, like I didn't think anything of it, so like I just didn't pay attention that I was doing it, kind of thing. Like maybe it's it's like you know I don't know. It's maybe that I just did it by, by habit, and I never paid attention that that's what I was doing. Well, I get that too. It's like a thing that you kind of do without having to think about it is harder to remember than the thing, and definitely when like you have been so far removed from it. Uh, it was Donovan who brought it to my attention. I had honestly forgot that I even said it. And then Donovan was like, bro, we've cut off. And he's, he's right. We've cut off. Like the first tail I cut off was a Narcacuga or whatever they're called. Uh, and I've cut off the Diablo's tail. I've cut off Rathlo's tail. So I've, I've done plenty. Um, I think it's just the low rank, the lower rank ones, even though they have tails, they can attack you with and everything. They're not always break. Like you can't always break them off and actually sever them. Um, and also, as Monster Hunter has always been, sometimes you have to break things. You have to use specific weapons. Like hammers are more for breaking. It's more blunt damage, whereas certain blades and whatnot are more like severing damage, which actually slices things off. So, yeah, I've been still having a blast with that. I don't know how many hours I am in. I've gotten to level six quests, uh, hunter quests on the main, you know, the, the village quest. And on the hub, I've gotten to four star, so hunter rank four, which are considered... Uh, high rank quest instead of low rank for the hub. So I'm ready to hop in. If you, anybody, if any of you guys are playing, let me know. The only downside is, is how stupid it is to talk to each other online when you're playing on switch, <laughs> which leads me to uh, where we're at. It's it's, I don't understand why this hasn't been resolved because there's no way that the switch hasn't been able, you could add this feature in through a firmware update. And they just refuse to do it. And I don't know if it's because of not wanting to deal with the legal mess of what could happen on your platform when you have a party system. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. But 
it's incredibly annoying because like with Donovan, I'm having to Facebook call him. Uh, with with uh, Blake, I'm I'm using the Discord call him. Uh, and those are not very easy to do situations. And it creates that issue where like I have to put headphones in that allow me to listen to the person and I get less attention toward the game. And it's just overall really dumb. And I can't understand why Switch has not been like you know when when the when it first came out as a feature and they were talking about issue and they saw the backlash that was for it whenever um the Squid Game came out what what's the what are those games called Saul Squid Game yeah the little paint game where you run around as a squid Splatoon kid. Splatoon Splatoon two say, came bro, out with with literal show called Squid Game you can't say that anymore you gotta be careful without me that's thinking true. of that show well, I haven't watched that show so I guess it's a good that's why show it's you not need on my brain to watch it. Finish up Boys Maybe Season I 3, though. Mm, yeah, I need to do that. Uh, anyway, I could see how when that first came out and the Switch is still rather new, that, like, hey, maybe we just haven't got this quite leveled out, uh, so this is what we have to do for now. But the fact that it's been three, four years since that's been the case and they still have not come out with a better solution is absolutely ridiculous. So um, that's my shade thrown to Nintendo this week. <laughs> I don't see why that's an issue, but still been having a great time with it. So if anybody wants to play, I am down. Um, Ryan, I know you had mentioned if we have anybody for Monster Hunter World. I'm still waiting to see if Chris is going to play World first or if he's going to hop into Rise with us. And while I don't think you have Rise, you absolutely could. You're more than welcome to play Rise with us as well. So just uh, let me know. Not you. Sorry, talking to Ryan. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm that but yeah, I know. Also, I know if you y'all want to right. play World again, I will 100 percent be down for that. I'm not opposed to playing World again. Um, World but and I'll Iceborne, so I'll do that for one game. So basically, if I I've never played Iceborne, so I'm gonna yeah. have to either play Rise and primarily play Rise on my own, just in break time and whatnot throughout the day, and then play World when I get home. I only have enough time for like one main game right now. So we'll have to figure that one out. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking of trying to introduce a second game, but I don't know if I have enough time for it. That said, Monster Hunter is fun. So everybody wants to play, just hop on, holler at your boy. Uh, we'll see if we can figure out a time that works with everybody. But getting along with the show, uh, I, of course, played. I, I smashed in a living room with a bunch of guys, too. That was the other thing I did. Um, and had a good time. Um, I've pretty much only played smash ultimate like once at blaze's house so that was uh the first time i'd played and definitely with somebody who's with people who are good not to like not that blaze isn't good but he doesn't play it like that competitive level that big seth and every one of them was playing at so it was fun to be playing in that environment um thoughts i still don't know i, I don't think i could buy that game personally I don't, I don't think i have enough interest to play it it's like i'd only want to play it with other people which means that the other people who already own it like we can just play their copy yeah well see my whole thought process was i almost decided to um to buy it uh pretty much just because i had a feeling that if jeffrey or seth wanted to play it one night while we we're a part of a discord call i'd be like that'd be an easy enough thing to pick up and play over discord because we're already on discord and that game doesn't require any really strong audio cues but i have open back earphone headphones so like i have the volume up a little bit yeah true best of both worlds kind of situation. Yeah. Maybe that's what I need to do for uh, 
for the Switch situation where I've got to play with stuff elsewhere. I normally just have one headphone in and one headphone out trying to like balance between the two, but it's, it's not Get a good thing. These, these comfy <laughs> Phillips. They're so nice. They're my favorite it's headphones. It's money, I've ever man. Had. It's money. These are cheap, though. These are like 40 bucks. Yeah, that's not too bad. Um, even though I haven't turned my PlayStation on in two weeks, I do have games I'm intending to play on it. And uh, I decided with stuff going on, basically with Amazon uh, Prime Day going on, it showed a couple of really high end of the SSD upgrades you could do for the PS5. And I chose not to go with like the uh, the WD Black, which was not bad priced actually, or the um, Samsung... Um, what is it? Nine eight ninety Pro or nine eighty Pro, whatever it is. Um, I chose not to go with either of those, and instead I went with one that was just one hundred and three dollars. It's still a terabyte, still meets all the things. Really highly reviewed, but it's a lesser known name. I've had good luck uh, just searching around for cheaper uh, SSD storage, and I love Samsung and they do good stuff, but they are consistently higher than the competition for arguably no real reason. I mean, the real reason is that they're Samsung. You know that they have quality behind and you know the company and they have stuff at stake to some degree. That's about the only thing Samsung I'll trust anymore. <laughs> More SSDs? Yes. <laughs> their, their memory. They do, they've always had good memory. They have good TVs. I mean, Their TVs have ads honestly. baked in on them now, though. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Or at least what I saw. I don't know how... Like I don't know how true that is, but it's definitely a weird... I don't know if it's only certain models. I don't know like if it's a, like the Amazon thing of where it's like you can get one that's ad-supported to shave 100 or $200 off the TV, kind of like how Amazon does with like the Fire Stick and whatnot, or the, the Fire Tablets. I saw on a post on um, Reddit like I, I, once like a year ago, but then I saw one just a month ago about it. It was on the... Um, I forget what it's... Asshole Design subreddit maybe? Where it was literally, it's somebody had bought it and it was one of their new TVs. And it's just mm. like, no, you, there's not, you couldn't pay me any amount of money. For me personally, same way, but there's also people who buy the, uh, the fire tablets with those. So I guess in my mind, there's clearly a market out there. So as long as Samsung is going out of their way to be like, hey, if you're buying this TV, it's got ads and by having ads on it, we're going to save you money on the TV initially and it's up to you to make that decision. But here's our non-ad supported model. I don't know. Yeah, that would be... You know, money's always in the ads in a way that I don't quite understand, but that's okay. Uh, Anyway, we're going to hop into the community's take here and if you don't remember or if you weren't part of uh, the, the... show last week the community's take is always a look back at our previous week's main topic and we'll discuss it that episode and then we'll come back in and give you a chance to rebuttal our statements and our thoughts and give some of your own give us a different point of view so that we can sometimes learn and change our own opinions from from hearing out from other people uh, and just generally lets us have a, a finger on the pulse of what our listeners think about situations um so if you want to be part of the community's take, remember that you can find us on uh, on Twitter at Triangle SQRD. You can find us on Facebook at Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. It's a group. If you just type that in, I'll let you in. Uh, and you can find us in the Discord, which we always have linked below in the description. And the question for last week actually came from one of our longtime listeners and friends, Ryan. He says, uh, 
In today's industry, where games are constantly evolving through patches, has a game you enjoyed ever been changed in a way that negatively impacted your feelings for it? And he gave his examples of Red Dead Redemption Online and Gran Turismo 7. Uh, we got some answers uh, over on Discord. Uh, our first one up is from Rude Days 93 one of our patrons for quite a while now. He says, only one that comes to mind for me is in Apex Legends. They nerfed my main I used, Wraith, for some reason, making it take a little longer to use her powers. Her powers, I don't think, were overpowered or anything, and it was annoying considering I spent a lot of money on costumes for her. I didn't fully quit, still have it downloaded, and I jump in and play sometimes, but I've definitely it definitely impacted the amount that I play now. Also, just thought of this one. I love Fortnite now with the no building, but back when it first launched, before even being a Battle Royale, I paid for the game. When it went free to play and became a better game, I held a grudge with it for five very long years. Wow. I can kind of understand that. I, I think a lot of people who spent money on Fortnite just for it to end up going free to play were kind of upset with that situation. That's funny uh, because that's kind of... Because... Good. Um, I was going to say, go, no, go ahead. I was going to let you get to your because reason. Oh, it's, uh, I just think the game was so different. Like it, it became free to play in a hit and something that was so different from what the actual original mode was set up to be. I remember Jonathan being excited for the game well before the battle royale aspect ever came. And it was just like a base building survival style kind yep. of game. So, but what were you going to say? I was going to say that's, that's actually my answer with Grand Theft Auto. Five. I was so excited for a single-player DLC, and the fact that they made it so online-focused. And the online was good. Don't get me wrong, but they 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 once they saw the amount of money they could get with online, they completely abandoned the single-player DLC. And that kind of goes into this thing we'll talk about later. And also, I could kind of see where Ryan's coming from with Red Dead because it's the exact opposite for Red Dead, where they just didn't support the game at all, like. We'll go into that more too, but there's still glitches and bugs online they've never fixed. And like there's no content added to the online game nor the normal part of the game. So, and from what I understand in Red Dead uh, Online, the only patch that they really gave to it was not really to fix the bugs and issues. They've really not done much of that. The only patch they ever did was exactly what Ryan uh, kind of bemoaned, which was this patch to make the game faster and speed the game up because of a few loud voices in the you know in the active player base at that time who have since left oh, which yeah. is a shame that the only time you update it is to quiet the voices that are shrieking at you but you don't update it for the people that stay hey. and i find that so weird because it seems like that would be after the success of Grand Theft Auto Online, you feel like that would be the next step. Hey, for anybody who doesn't like the kind of cartoonishly over-the-top style of Grand Theft Auto Online, we can do Red Dead Online. and It's very yeah. real and it's very slow and deliberate and we're going to play this game and we can have both of these. And even if Red Dead's never quite as big as Grand Theft Auto 5's is or Grand Theft Auto Online, I could see that being just as big. I always thought Red Dead Online was going to be huge. I did too. And it's, it wasn't. And I don't know if that's because the online wasn't as well made or if it's because that game got so much praise for its single player. I don't know. I really, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's an enigma to me too. Yeah, it just seems like, which I guess is probably the biggest argument for sometimes 
people talk about things being too big to fail or too big to stop. Basically, I can see why it's it'd be an issue realistically to look at a company like Rockstar and just assume that anything they put out is going to do amazingly. And while Red Dead on Red Dead Redemption Two as a base game and a single player narrative experience uh, did amazing, I guess this goes to show that even they must have known or had some kind of metrics or just in general that online game didn't blow up in the same way. So it's, I guess that's a a lesson for us to learn that even big companies like any big company that's big, like known for one big thing. If like, uh, if modern warfare stopped being the thing that uh, infinity ward was working on and they came out with a new series and they're like from the creator of (laughs) modern warfare, it doesn't mean that it's actually going to immediately do well. Um, right. I guess that's a, a good thing to keep in mind because I think you get jaded real easy. Like it's probably the game's not going to be good and still do well. And clearly, I think if anything's been true, games that suck do not. They fairly seldom do very well. If a game, even if you may not like the game, games only do well when there's at least something that people in mass enjoy about it. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, but. That one's pretty good. Uh, You want to grab the one from Aztec King, and then I'll start working on the Facebook ones. Yeah, he actually agrees with uh, Rude Days. He says, I'm in the same boat as Rude Days 93. The few changes they have made to some characters in Apex does bug me sometimes, but doesn't stop me from still playing. I used to play in Mirage until they changed his ultimate. Now I'm a Loba. I hope I pronounced that right. But a Loba main. Um, What I hate is how much the mobile game did. And... uh, is how they made a mobile game and did so much to uh, to it that people on consoles want. And then I guess I get what they're saying is that because I was all, I was talking to Chris about that. Yeah, it's like um, they made choices in the mobile game but neglected it in the console. Well, yeah, or, yeah, and unlike Fortnite, the ugh. Apex mobile game is a separate title, and apparently it brought quality of life that people wanted in the main one and the lost. But uh, I think me and you Chris go ahead and read that extra that thing that Chris put in if you want. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, but I think I think just to cap on what you were just talking about, I think me and Chris have talked about that too. Like where is this weird kind of like in between? Of like a test, kind of like a test server on the mobile game, and then like, but then some of the good things they don't bring to the the console version. Uh, yeah, but Chris does have an insert here, and he says uh, Wraith's original instant tactical uh, was to get out of jail free card, or was a uh, get out jail free card. It sucks for Wraith mains, but she was a staple for that reason, and only that reason. Her tactical being nerfed made her significantly more balanced. I have played that game a lot. I'd never realized that those are called tacticals. They're not supers or ultimates or whatever it's called that actually threw me off on reading that just now i've never i've never played the game with people though oh well hold on maybe i did even then once with someone i don't remember i know i've never played it with you i've only ever played it with jonathan and that wasn't very many times um but i also think it kind of shows that even even game mechanics can get popular in one series so much that you just keep using that. You know, like we always call Kleenex, you know, tissues Kleenex most for the most part. But they're all facial um, tissues. I, th- or they're I all- think it's just that idea that anything that you do that's essentially something that you build up slowly over time and then you get to do that ends up doing massive damage or something that impacts the game in a heavy way is just called a super like right. destiny like, Two, And I think that that's happening for you. Cause you're, you were such a big destiny fan for so long that you true. just think super, I'm sure there's people who play other things and call it probably an ultimate or, or whatever. Yeah. Or a tactical. If you're, if, if 
Apex was the first game for you to really get big on. You're going to call it by that, but <laughs> it's interesting. Um, yeah, I've not played much Apex, so that one kind of gets... Yeah, but like Chris and I were talking about last week, the, the problem they face is that you have to... Basically, even if there's not a real reason in-game to do it, you basically have to shift around and balance characters and weapons so that people don't automatically stick into one type of build and then eventually yeah. play themselves to getting bored because they never change it up. By constantly making them play new characters or use new guns or new tacticals or whatever all these different things are, you you keep their brain more engaged to a point where they want to keep playing because they're still having fresh experiences with it, that they would eventually lose that magic when you don't change it. Like I love the last of us uh, factions. And when Chris and I were playing it the other day, it's very fun, but it's very fun in the exact way that I remember it. Nothing has changed that I can tell. It's like, and that's why a game like that only lasts for a few months with certain players. And then the majority of the player base is going to be that way. And they're going to be like, I've gotten my fill of this never changing experience, which I'm glad it never changes because you you get to have that version. And then when other people play it down the road, they get to have that same version. And it's like, and you know, you're talking about the same type of game, but a game like Apex or Fortnite can completely change between them. But go ahead. Yeah, so I keep misreading when you're when you're when you're pausing. Um, but it's like Chick-fil-A. It's the it's the analogy I always use for Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is good, but you can only eat it so often within like limited amount of times of each time because you get it gets for me, it gets boring because it's it's exactly the same thing every time. They it's never lesser quality or higher quality. It's always the exact same quality. It's good quality. Don't get me wrong, but like if I had chicken nuggets, I can ne- I can I've eaten chicken Chick Fil A chicken nuggets thousands of times. Never once have they tasted different than another time that I've had them ever. It's kind ever. of weird because it's like that. Uh, it's like going to McDonald's and having that like roll of the dice as to whether this is going to be one of those like yeah. man, this McDonald's is slapping today, or if it's like ah, oh, this is kind of shit. Are these <laughs> fries going to be? Soggy I can't believe and I bland? spent eight dollars. Yeah, yeah, they're going to be crispy yeah. and delicious. Which the one on Summer Hill like, is always crispy and delicious. When we used to do the podcast on Sundays, and then uh, right to- after we would do Yu Gi Oh, we go eat lunch. Um, I remember that like almost every time we ended up going to McDonald's, it was really like we all kind of had that. Like, is it going to suck today or is it going to be good? And sometimes you'd get the burger and it was kind of exciting to be like, whoa, this double quarter pounder is actually like really on. It's smacking today. It's really good. And that service too. But yeah. And then set, uh, conversely, though, you had that thing where it's like you go there and you're like, can't wait. This These fries are going to be good. This burger is going to be delicious. And then suddenly you bite into it and you're like, this is dry. And not really season what the hell happened. It's yeah, it's dumb, but it's kind of like what makes opening Yu-Gi-Oh cards fun is like the thrill of not knowing what you're gonna get. <laughs> That's yeah. Raisin Cane's and Chick-fil-A for me are two of the places that are always consistently so good, but they're consistently the exact same. Therefore, it's just which is great when you know you want something and you want an exact version. So you can do that. I know I want Chick-fil-A and I know it's going to be exactly what I want. Whereas the problem is when you go, I know I want McDonald's, it may not deliver. Nukes but has got that way, way too. It's, it's kind of fun. You know, it's, yeah. it's kind of 
as dumb as that may sound, it's life's a little more interesting when things shake it up a little, even in a bad way. You'll just be like, well, at least it was something different and fresh. So right. what we're saying is that fast food is analogous to always online, ever-changing games as a service, clearly. And the fact that <laughs> Chick-fil-A is always the same and never updated is the same for Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> Uh, all right. We're going to keep going here. Uh, we got over on Facebook. Uh, also, shout out to Aztec King for being a patron. Yes, yeah, shout out. Um, I forgot to you say that. I'm sorry. Want, My boy's yeah, name is no Purple. Problem. Yep. He, he's Purple in the Discord. Perp. Got that bling bling. If you want to join him and be a perp too. <laughs> that, wait, that's a perpetrator. I shouldn't Whoa. use that word. If you want to be a perpetrator too, you can head over. That's almost our. I'm going to rename that in, in the, the Patreon thing. That reward tier is going to be perpetrator. It's going to be perp. Oh, boy. Uh, if you want to be a perp, just like Aztec King, then you can head over to, uh, oh, hey, Onyx. You can head over to patreon.com slash nartech and consider giving as little as a dollar per month. We love all of you who do. Thank you very much. Some of you give even more big ballers out here. Thank you, guys. Yes. Uh, over on Facebook, Cody McGinnis says, short and sweet, yeah, Destiny 1 and 2. And if that's not like the best answer. It is. I don't know what else is. Whether or not I play Destiny for a long stint of time is entirely based on how good whatever patch, balance, or typically full-on expansion is. I think I'm fully done with that game. I think I'm fully done with it, too. I've, I, I Witch Queen didn't pull me back at all. It's crazy. I thought Witch Queen was some of the most fun I've had from a story perspective on the game. I yeah. just didn't care after. It's like, okay, I beat it. I'm done. I don't want to do the rest of that stuff. I didn't even do the raid, and I thought for sure I would like, oh, this is going to be a cool raid. I don't care. I did the raid. I did it once, and it was pretty cool. But it was Never say of, never, though, Saul. Me and you have been there. We've we been the, We're done with Destiny 2 just to go back. So True, true, true. We're filthy, filthy Destiny sluts, <laughs> apparently. There ain't nothing wrong with that. Hey, there's nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, we got Blake Popes over on the Facebook as well, the ghost of Blake Popes. He says, Grand Theft Auto Online used to be amazing like the single player with friends. Now it's unrecognizable garbage cash grabs, yep. flying vehicles that shoot guided missiles, underground bunkers that let you kill anyone on the map. Just yep. awful shit. I, I was unaware of that. Yeah, it's like it was. So what's, what's absolutely crazy is one of the coolest things, in my opinion, that has ever happened in video game history, and that was the Chiliad Mystery. And for those that don't know what the Chiliad Mystery is, back in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, and just for those that have, that I highly doubt there's anybody listening that's unaware, but it's the, the it's Grand Theft Auto Five set in San Andreas, so it's the same world. It's just you know a decade and a half later. Well, back in San Andreas. There was a, um, there was like two big old rumors that A, there was Bigfoot in the game, and B, that there was UFOs. And in Grand Theft Auto V, at the top of Mount Chiliad, there was this puzzle. And it, it, there's all kinds of crap about this puzzle and all kinds of like hidden triggers buried in the game files. And it was and it's something that nobody could really figure out. It was a true Easter egg hunt in real life. Uh, and it was to, turns out like what it was for was it was to practically tease the fact that 
A, that there was UFOs in the game and you had to be at a certain time and completion of the game and a certain spot standing to uh, to be able to see see one of them. Or actually, there's like three of them, I think. But then the second thing is, is that it was to tease DLC, single player DLC, that was that was literally scrapped. And yeah. it's sad because of that. Something that could have been great. <laughs> you know, great. it's weird. I absolutely adore when games are built in such weird ways and they don't provide answers. And it's just like everyone has to go online and kind of work together and try and see if they can piece something out. And I know it's weird to say this, but I kind of love when games have secrets that you can solve. And so they get you into this mode of like, I'm solving the secret and there's got to be an answer just to have one final mystery that you don't actually solve and maybe you were never meant to solve because it's not there's not really an extra secret it's just a it's just a mystery for the sake of the thrill of mystery um and i I guess it goes back to what i think made pt so fun is that feeling of sitting around the couch and being like the first line of defense is the group of people in the room with you everyone's shouting out ideas of what they think you might have to do and everyone's unsure and they start to hang on to this one idea of like you gotta uh you gotta talk in the microphone talk in the microphone you gotta oh never mind you gotta stand by the phone and wait for it to ring three times (laughs) like you just you get caught up but it's fun because it's chaos and it's clearly a group of people trying to essentially do what I think it makes the uh, these escape rooms that you can go do now kind of fun. It's like people just trying to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks and then have the fun of reveling and fi- eventually getting through it and maybe not even knowing exactly how you did. Um, yeah. But the, the Chiliad thing makes me kind of think of Shadow of the Colossus. And I'm sure yeah. as someone who I know is, I loved it as well, that long running thing of like, there's got to be something you can do. And there's the That's long word last Colossus. It's like there's, yeah, you get to the top and yeah, there's just these fruits that you can eat that lower your stamina and your health and everything. But that's, there's a reason. If you can finally climb to the top of this thing, which is incredibly hard to do. It's like there's something up there, and then there's all these other things. Well, maybe it's you got to get on an eagle's back. Maybe you've got to go through this staircase at this time of day. And there's years, and it was like 2018 or 2019 was like the end of the Shadow of the Colossus uh, Wikipedia page that was constantly getting updated with any information on what they thought might matter for the secret. I think that people finally gave up on it in 2019. There's a really great video um, from Jacob Geller on it that I think is called like uh, the, the Long Quest for Shadow of the Colossus, Last Secret, something like that. See, um, imagine the Shadow of the Colossus great. secret, right? Yeah. But with actual hints in the game code on what to do. Yeah. And that's what this is. This was this was like this was kind this was kind of like uh, recess rumors of like, hey, have y'all tried this to get it to work? Hey, have y'all tried to get this to get it to work? And uh, at the same exact time, there was code that people were looking at that was like, hey, there's a lot of like weird things going on with these triggers here. So you have to like play with these gameplay triggers at these certain times of day and stuff. It was, I implore anybody who wants hours of entertainment, go to r slash Chiliad Mystery. And just go to like the oldest post, sort by old, and just go and like thousands and thousands of hours of reading material. And people, people are solved part of what it does. It, it people have, like for what's in the game, they've solved it, but it, it just doesn't have an end because the DLC was scrapped. No, oh, that's rough. Um, wasn't Metal Gear Solid Five something similar to where there was like 
people were talking about there's like a secret ending that nobody had gotten that the nuke, I, and i don't was, remember what it was i want to say it was something to the point where it's like everything in the code showed that it existed but nobody had been able to pull it off it was well i think it was it's actually more anticlimactic than that it was the nuclear what was it called it was essentially like what would happen if all the players who played online never launched a nuke um, because you could even you could have uh, nuclear warfare in Metal Gear Solid Online, and it was like, what if everybody was like <sighs> moral enough not to build a nuke and launch it or something like that, and then one player just ended up just going to like the amount of in-game time that they set that that should happen or shouldn't happen. So like he just fast-forwarded the game clock like you know six years or whatever it was. So that it would be like, oh yeah, nobody's ever launched a nuke, and then it was just like a cutscene on like Snake congratulating people, if I remember correctly. It's been a long time since I've looked at that, but it's it was like that. Oh, okay. So I've got it. This is actually pretty interesting. So it does have a secret ending that only unlocks when every single player of the game has eliminated nuclear weapons from their in-game bases. Yeah. While the cutscene triggered on PC as a result of a glitch. This is PC Games, by the way. PCGamesN.com? Anyway, it says, while the uh, cutscene triggered on PC as a result of a glitch two years ago, it's never been unlocked legitimately until this week. And it says, each version of Metal Gear Solid Five has a separate nuke counter which you can track through the fan-made Nuke Watcher site. The PlayStation 3 version finally dipped down to the magic number of zero on July 27th. Wow. While the Nuke count quickly bounced back up to 40, the total disarmament lasted long enough for the special cutscene to trigger and be captured, as you can see below. Uh, that's kind of interesting, actually. Yeah. I love that idea because of how... Th- this is exactly why people like Kojima. That's so meta. It's like, we're going to make a secret version of a game that's only there whenever all, whenever basically peace is obtained. And it's kind of like this weird commentary on the fact of it's taken this long and it only happened because people weren't playing the PS3 version. So the new counter ended up hitting zero just because people weren't building new ones. But clearly it hadn't happened in the newer versions or the, the newer console versions because people who are still playing are still building nukes because we're humans and we're assholes and we have that feeling in our head of, well, somebody else has it. We've got to have it too. Yeah, and Kojima kind of knew that that was, that's, that's kind of the common sense involving online games and nuclear I warfare. I love that. So that's that's really cool. Yeah, I don't know. I get that that is anticlimactic because I'm sure it's just a. I'm sure it's a simple cutscene. I think it that's is probably a some kind of commentary cool. on on how people were, you know, how, how peace has finally been met. Uh, it's probably something simple, but I think that that's really cool, man. Secrets in video games are just so fun. It's something that I don't really. I don't want every game to have them because then it starts to just be something that you expect and it loses its specialness. Fun. Yeah, its uniqueness. But I really love when games have that. Like when uh, Demon Souls Remake first came out and people were like, there's this doorway and there's something behind this doorway and we don't know what the hell it is or how to get to it or what. Coincidentally, and made I love by the that. same people who did Made Child of Colossus. That's a good... Well, at least the remaster. The remake. <laughs> yeah. True. So... Either way, that's pretty cool. I like that. I, I think secrets in games. It's unfortunate that that's how Grand Theft Auto ended up going. Uh, but at the same time, is it better to have a mystery that's never solved that you get to have fun on? Or is it better for the mystery to have actually led to something that eventually released but not be as good as what you thought? Like, you know, when you build something up for a long time like that, 
I almost wonder if they could have ever met the expectations of players who are like, we've been looking at this mystery for years. Yeah. What is it? Mm. Oh, well. Uh, yeah, I've never played Grand Theft Auto Online besides a very small stint on PS3. And I don't even know if it was the same version as what ended up being around, but that's okay. Uh, Joey McPherson over on Facebook says, Seven Days to Die console version. I still play it with my wife from time to time, but it's not the same. When it first launched on console, I'd say a few patches in, it was the best game, uh, best that the game could be. Now the issue is since Telltale Games published the game for consoles and is gone, it doesn't get patched anymore. I just wished I could use an older patch to play with my wife. Which leads me to one of the most interesting things that I've thought of before, but it's funny that it's coming back around. I would love to see game companies, and I get that there's a lot of reasons why they wouldn't, but for games that have reached a point where you're not going to update them anymore and you're not dealing with any of the stuff going on, I would love the ability to roll back patches for single and multiplayer games. If you're not going to patch a game anymore and you potentially patch a game into a broken state and then you're told, well, we can't update it anymore. Sorry. Why not allow the ability to say, hey, these are all the patch versions that have ever been existed. All we need you, all you have to do, or if if nothing else, if you've had the previous one installed before, it lets you bounce back to that. I think that that would be super good and it would really help for for times when games come out and then get patched into a worse state and then run out of steam and money before they can ever get that fixed. But secondarily in weird situations like this for online games, if the servers are still up, but you're not patching the game for years and years and years and people like a different version of your patch setup, why not allow them to just go, Hey, we're going to play online and we're just going to bounce back to this code and we can only play with other people who have this code so that the game works correctly. But why not? Yeah, I agree. People talk about, video game preservation and the sad thing is is that no you can preserve a game right but you preserve it in whatever time that you choose to preserve it i think there'd be something really cool to be said of being able to preserve a game in every version of its existence like what if 20 years from now someone wants to go back and play the one specific version of the worst version of cyberpunk 2077 why not allow them to do that yeah, that's true. Why not allow them to go and play a specific version? Why not allow players who are playing No Man's Sky and has all these updates, but they go, I don't really like the way these updates changed the game. I really like the way the game played two months into play. Okay, you can go back and play the game right back then. Now, I know that's always easier than said and done, and when there's servers involved, I'm sure there's reasons as to why the server's up to a certain version and you can't support multiple versions on the server, but it would be something I would love to see if nothing else, in single-player games, and if at all possible in multiplayer games, if there's a way to implement it. Do you have any thoughts on that, Saul? That'd be really cool. I, I mean, there's yeah. a reason why, like a lot of people, for like Dark Souls one, two, three, all that, they play, they do speedruns on PC because they just roll back their patch to when when certain yeah, things were PC ca- like, does have that. Out. Yeah, that's fair. But even on PC, it's not really officially supported. It's just somebody does a backup of a certain patch version and you can go download that. 
something I think that the uh, the actual industry needs to look at and try and implement, and we'll see if that ever happens. Uh, next thing up, Josh Ayer says, I don't play many games that change over time. The only one I'd consider I play is Final Fantasy XIV Online. I've been playing since PS3, and it's clearly the same game. It just runs better and has more people, um, which is kind of... That one's weird. I think the biggest downside to MMOs is that they start on consoles and because they never can go down long enough, that game is always the same game that was limited by that initial system. Even if that system, like in Final Fantasy XIV's case, I think the PS3 version still supported, crazily enough. Uh, Final Fantasy XI Online, the PS2 version was supported forever. Forever. I think it's still supported. Kind of crazy. But it is weird. It's like... When I think about how long um, um, World of Warcraft's been going, there's kind of the ideas like how many of these systems are just ancient and they've never been able to do anything with because they're just they're still in debt to tech that was put into place in 2004 or whenever it was that World of Warcraft came out. Yeah, mm. the tons has to be. Well, like I love old school RuneScape. Old school RuneScape does have technical limitations that they still have to work with, but they literally, because of what people wanted for the game, they can't even patch past them because that's not what people want. The whole reason that exists is that people want the flaws and all because that's what they pay for. But they were talking about like limitations with art, like the, the render engine for that game and the way that it handles polygons is so cracked out that they're like, to even try and do certain shapes, they have to make things huge to get enough edges to try and smooth something out in certain ways or give it edges in certain places. And it's interesting because it does lend to that game having an art style like no other game I've seen before because you are limited to exactly how it chooses to display pixels and now you you've seen saw on my computer like the guy who came through and did a thing where it's built on top of the game and runs on top of it and it does look better but it still looks like runescape no matter what you kind of can't fully escape it it looks like a really pristine remaster of runescape but yeah it's kind of interesting yep and um before we go to the main topic i mean not the main topic the news i do want to clarify so the chiliad mystery mural was to how to unlock the jetpack and they added the jetpack as paid DLC. In 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 um, GTA Online. So you think it was originally something that was supposed to be free? Yep. And came to the game as because they were like, "Oh, we can make money off of this." Yep. And it, well, it may not That's be kind of anticlimactic, but it's yeah, it's it's literally because it, the middle of the uh, the middle of the. Is it the middle? It's part of the mural is is, dead of, is devoted to somebody having a jetpack. And if you remember in GTA San Andreas, there was a jetpack in the game. There was. So, uh, yeah, that's true. Oh, okay. Go spend all the time you want checking out Chiliad Mystery. Also, go check out the Shadow of the Colossus secrets. Those yeah. are cool. It's, it's honestly just amazing watching people discover things about games that you thought that you would never find. Uh, it goes to so much people can fall in love with something. But we're going to move into the news. As we move into the news, I want to remind everybody that you can 
like the video if you're watching on YouTube, or you can subscribe to keep up with the new videos coming out. If you're listening on podcast services, do a solid, take a few seconds, rate the podcast on whatever service that you're listening on, uh, and let people know that it's worth their time, however yeah. it is you think. If you think it's four stars, give it four stars. If you think it's five, give it five. If you want to give us feedback as to what you think could be better, please feel free to do so on any of the avenues that we have open for that, be it reviews, be it Discord, Facebook, Twitter, all of those things. And we always have recommended be honest with your criticism. Yeah, for sure. And we appreciate every one of you who listen every week. Uh, It's the only reason we still, of course, do the show is we have people who are open to listening. So that said, we're going to move into the news. First thing on the news, Square Enix gave some clarification on the reason that Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which is the second part of the trilogy for the Final Fantasy VII remake, is a PS5 exclusive. In an interview with Japanese publication Gamer, Rebirth producer Katase uh, indicated that the graphical quality, so called quote, graphical quality as well as SSD access speed, end quote, are the main reasons that the game won't be on PS4 and potentially as well as Microsoft's platforms. Though, of course, as we know, that may not really be the case. Um, that's it. They were talking about being able to smoothly traverse the world. Uh, and that definitely makes sense because Saul, we were talking about in Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 1, they really focused on Midgar. Yeah. And so they didn't have to worry about anything being too big. But when you start thinking about moving on to Niflheim and all these different places that are coming in the continued versions of the game, there's that feeling of like, are you going to go open world? Are you just going to go large hubs? How are you going to choose to portray these parts of the game when you don't have an overworld map system like we kind of saw with uh, the original seven. What do you think about that? Or do you have a hope? Like, do you hope it's one way or the other? I stuck my foot in my mouth with, (laughs) with how I was anticipating I wanting seven remake to be. So I don't know. Well, I think, you didn't, it's hard. You never beat it that I'm aware of, but you didn't beat Final Fantasy 15, right? Yeah, but you played enough of it that I know that you saw the same, or you had the same complaint as I, I did, in that at least the version I played, which was at launch uh, and platinum at launch, the open world was very devoid of anything interesting. It was it was really large, with very little to do within it. So personally, I don't, I'm not gung-ho for open world Final Fantasy, in all honesty, because they've yet to show me that they can pull it off. I like the idea of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth being bigger than Seven Remake, like giving areas that are large, but I like the idea of hubs, kind of like we're seeing in like Monster Hunter Rise and yeah. Monster Hunter World and, and, and even RCS. Like you're playing right now, you have these hub areas that you can go to and there's things that you do and experience within them, but it feels open and like you have some say in how things are going to play out, even if you really don't. And I like that. I, I think it's the best of both worlds. And for a long time, we moved away from hubs in gaming because open world was like the marketing term you wanted to have. But I'm hoping that the open world fatigue that's kind of set in has started getting people back to this idea of like, we're just going to have hubs, even if they're connected hubs, like you see in like 2018 God of War. Like that's not an open world game, but it feels really open because you have a bunch of hubs that are connected. Um, 
I personally want to see that <laughs> more I, than, I, you know, the opposing. I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, no, you're, you're good. I was done. I think that there tends to be more creativity when it comes to hubs and not worlds. If that makes if that makes sense, it sounds like it'd be the opposite. But I think that when you when they're focused on a smaller area, the amount of detail in that smaller area has to be higher than an open area because it's less room to navigate around. It's less to do, so it needs to pull your attention out of the ways. And being highly detailed seems to be the way to do it. Because, like, I would argue or at that the least being interesting. It doesn't yes. have to be highly detailed to be interesting, but yeah. Um, I would argue that Rise has a little bit smaller areas than World does. Um, actually, I'm sorry. I, I would say Rise has some slightly bigger areas than World does from what I remember in World, but they're not as detailed. But the, yeah, like the art style is beautiful. And the, mm-hmm. the graphics and everything, so it's it's more attention catching. And well, and you think about world while you're on that, just because I, I was thinking the same thing. I don't even know if they are bigger. I think they really are because they kind of have to be with the addition of the dog. Because it's like you can't have a small world and have the dog, otherwise you're going to feel like you're running around the map too quick. Yeah. So conversely, you want to make it to where it's at, but also how vertical the game is and how that plays into the dog as well. I think the game. For its lack of detail, as opposed to world, it makes up for with how you traverse the world being interesting by comparison of world. Yes. Like world's more detailed, but you have a lot less ways to traverse the world inside of world than you do in Rise. Yeah, and you know, I think that if Seven was to do, I'm just I don't know. I'm slightly concerned when it gets to the open world map of Seven. But if they do their open world map like a hub. I'm trying to think, has there been a modern Final Fantasy game do that? Like where it uses a, hubs? A, no, an overworld map. Like where you like 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 seven, like where you would roam around the map a big and map then and then choose go, where you're going. Yeah. I don't think so. Most big franchises, like even the uh even um the Tales of games really did away with that um, as yeah, part of so. modernizing. And, and I personally liked that at the time. And I think I still think that's the right call because I think with how visual, how visually designed uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake is, I don't know if you need a world map or an overworld. But at the same time, I think you could probably pull it off in a way that felt interesting and fresh, but still felt design-wise, still felt like something that was newer. I mean... You have all the same benefits. You can go to it, but it's like, how do you represent that? Do you have a, do you have good example of what is in my head? Do you have it be like Kingdom Hearts 2 Winnie the Pooh where you, where Sora is like running over the top of the book pages and then you get to the part of the book page where you want to be like Pooh's house and then you immediately travel into it once you stand over it and hit A. So like basically, do you have a normal, uh, proportioned Sora, but his scale is so different to everything else. Like, would you have Cloud be normal Cloud proportion, but you'd be seeing the world of Seven from like a very high top-down globe view? Or how do you choose to That's, represent that? Because that yeah. kind of feels dated, right? I don't want to. I want to, you know, admit when I'm wrong and say that I was wrong about my concerns with the way 
uh, I felt about seven, the concerns I had, which I think the concerns were justified. But I was, yeah, I think so too. I, I, I was proven that I shouldn't have been concerned about it. So I'm going to try not to be concerned about part two. But it does lead me to think like part one was the end of Midgar. Well, this is, you know, right when the open world map open up, opens up in the original, like where you roam the overworld and mm-hmm. you start going to, you start going to places. I don't want to name anything, but you start going to places. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I'm curious. I'm not concerned, but curious as to what they're going to do. That's a good word. I'm excited. Yeah, I think it's a good one too. I just yeah. wish they would hurry uh, up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the uh, on the topic of Square Enix, they also finally gave us a release date on the brilliant-looking Dio Field Chronicles that we saw a few months back as part of a... Uh, I want to say as part of a PlayStation um, State of Play. Uh, it is coming September 22nd, 22. So Square Enix is really stacked. They've got Dio Field Chronicle. They've got Valkyrie... Uh, Valkyrie uh, not profile. What is it called? The the new Valkyrie game. Uh, they have Valkyrie course, Chronicles Crisis Core. Well, that was the original, and I can't remember what the new one's called now. Oh, I thought Valkyrie. that was a series name. That's the one that's like World War Two based, right? Oh, that, that's Sega actually. Uh, Valkyrie Elysium is the new one, I think, and okay, that was originally Valkyrie. Oh, yeah, you're fine. Valkyrie Profile was the original series that that was part of. Um, and so that's the new one coming as well, and that's coming this year. I want to say they gave it a release date, 29th of September. Yeah, yeah. So they have a they have a loaded thing, man. That's September 29th, September 22nd. Ooh. I mean, good for Square. <laughs> as well as as long as all the games do well. Um, that game looks cool. Like there's a new trailer for it. So if you're interested in it at all, go check that out. Um while we were talking about Grand Theft Auto uh, and everything earlier, uh, we talked last week, Chris and I, about the news of Grand Theft Auto 4 and Red Dead Redemption remasters being shelved in favor of the sixth entry of Grand Theft Auto. Uh, news came out today that supposedly a uh, next-gen remaster of Red Dead Redemption 2 has also been shelved. Also, Chris wanted me to read this exactly as he wrote it. So, <clears throat> news came out today that supposedly a next-gen remaster of Borefest Red, De- Red Dead Redemption 2 has also been shelved. Uh, but back on the actual news, this comes on the back of news that Rockstar has officially abandoned the online mode of its cowboy version of Ambien. Good Lord, Chris. Lay off for a second, okay? Read the room. Cowboy version of what? <laughs> the... He's, he said the cowboy version of Ambien. He's saying that Red Dead Online oh. would put him to sleep because Red Dead Redemption on uh, Red Dead Redemption Two is a slow game. Is, is yeah. <laughs> uh, he says the mode, which was uh, actually abandoned almost immediately after release, is now officially coughing and sputtering its way to a grisly end. And while he may be being over, I actually think that most people that liked Red Dead Online agree with that sentiment <laughs> that the game is just kind of hanging on for a little bit before it meets its end. Um, yeah. I am a little surprised because Red Dead 2 PS5 patch seems... I mean, a PS5 patch seems like what you would do. A PS5 version, I guess, at the same token would work. A free patch for existing owners of the PS4 version and then a PS5 version. Who knows? Low-hanging fruit that I'm surprised that they're not trying to get, considering that they re-released Grand Theft Auto Five yet again. 
yet again. Uh, but I guess the difference is, is that the re-release of Grand Theft Auto V or Grand Theft Auto Online on next-gen consoles came with a subscription service. So maybe they just got to find a way to subscribe you to their cowboy version of Ambien. Like you subscribe like to our YouTube channel. A, pre- a, pres- a prescription, yeah. Like you can subscribe to our YouTube channel or the podcast, depending on what you're listening on. Uh, yeah, but they just... Maybe you go to a doctor and he writes you a prescription, a monthly prescription for Ambien, Cowboy Ambien. That's, and that's how they work this out. That's Chris's hell. <laughs> that's Chris's hell. He gets forced to go to a doctor who says, you got to have to take this, bud. And then Chris lives in like a, a drug-fueled rampage of slow-paced, wild, wild west world. He just he wakes up and he has to play Red this Dead is- Redemption 2 until he falls asleep. <laughs> Chris's Inferno. <laughs> <laughs> he gets down to the ninth circle of hell, or sorry, the eighth circle of hell, where all the you know the, the the layers of all the multiple bad versions and kind of prisons are. And he's like, he just has to deal with every Rockstar developer who made Red Dead Two, and he has to face them face to face, and they have to explain to him why Red Dead Two is a good game. That's his. That's nearing the end, right before he faces hell. What's well, a podcast? Like right before he, he faces Lucifer. It's a podcast he has to listen to while playing the game, and then um, that's the nine. It's nine episodes, and each then, one getting longer and slower. And then he has to consult a YouTube watch video of the whole game. So he has to play through it, and then he has to rewatch somebody do a walkthrough of the game, a one hundred percent walkthrough. Do you know how long that would take? <laughs> <laughs> you know I just realized the way you could be real cruel if I could convince Chris I would, I'm not going to do Chris I know you're listening to this but yes. a fun prank would be to convince Chris to give me his YouTube information log into his YouTube and just search only Red Dead Redemption 2 videos why would he for give like you a permission month. for that you wouldn't have to do it for a month <laughs> YouTube algorithm sucks you, you google like two things you do it yeah, you do it twice, and it'd be like, you clearly like Red Dead 2 online, so we're going to show you nothing but Red Dead 2 content. Yeah. I can't Awful. actually hate on them. I found like four YouTubers I liked in the last month because of YouTube's algorithm, so I guess I can't hate. Lucky you. I haven't had such luck. That Dylan is in trouble, dude, and that Leo Vader dude both just randomly showed up, and I ended up enjoying them. So you know what? Shout out YouTube algorithm. You're doing your thing. Uh, moving on to the next piece of news, though, because uh, I don't really know what else I can say about the weird treatment of Red Dead Online that I haven't already this episode. Sony's acquisition of the Jade Raymond-led Haven Studios has closed, and the team is officially a member of Sony's first-party family. A coinciding interview with GamesIndustry.biz uh, Jane, Jade Raymond talked a little bit more about the studio's goal and its game. She says that the team is focused on research and development and, quote, long-term cloud innovation because we really believe it's going to be a game changer in terms of how games are made, end quote. Now, to specify what she's saying here, she's not talking so much about making a cloud game, but how the cloud can be used as a tool for game creation to remove barriers that typically you've had when you're dealing with studios. Uh, Some of you may remember that when Haven first opened, uh, the whole thing is that it opened without a physical studio space. It was people from different parts of the country, different countries, all coming together on a cloud-oriented thing, working together on a product without having to share a space. 
Now, clearly, that's kind of been a thing that's been going on since COVID, uh, and this studio did start during COVID, but they are clearly working on things that they think help that process so that they can streamline making games without having to have everybody physically together. Uh, and that seems to be one of the big draws that uh, they had as a studio for PlayStation to want to come toward. Um the rest of the news says 21 engineers have joined the studio and its size has increased from 50 to over 100. Lastly, Raymond teased a collaboration with Sony Wonderkind, uh, Wonderkind uh, Mark Cerny. So uh, they were talking about how Mark Cerny was very impressed with their cloud tech that they were using as part of this stuff. Um, so see what ends up happening there. To be fair, the last time that Mark Cerny uh, was... In collaboration with a game, uh, he made the absolutely excellent Knack 2. Uh, so do with that information what you will. Or for all you donkeys out there, Knack, baby! Knack anyway, 2 is back. Knack 2, the knackening. I will continue to bang the drum that Knack 2 is actually a fucking great game. And Knack 1 is an okay game that is probably worth a 6 out of 10. Like, I enjoyed it. But Knack 2 is a good game. They are. That's my opinion that clearly no one else really follows over the week. But <laughs> anything you want to say about that, Saul? No, congratulations for the uh, the acquisition. Man, this is that this is their big online game, you know, as they're doing with a lot of their stuff. I don't even know. Like I'm I'm trying to think, right? And I don't know if I'm the target audience to this. So that might be why it's so hard. For I don't me to think out. I am, but that's fine. I don't even know what I want. I don't even know what I want their game to be. Like, I don't even know if even after I see it, if I'll actually be excited for it or not. I'm kind of in the same boat, but you know. <sighs> I don't know either. It does depend though. Because like you're talking about playing Escape from Tarkov right now. And that's a game that is online oriented. And yet it's it's so unique in how it chooses to represent that, that... I can see why that's interesting. The only art, the only thing that I guess moves me from that is the problem that a lot of what makes money and that developers and publishers are chasing right now are games that are always online that I don't feel like really are that interesting. Their whole thing is to try and be to as big and broad of an audience as possible and to change as little as possible while changing just enough to not make you bored enough to leave. And because we talked about that earlier in the episode, I can kind of see why people like those games. You can always come back to something that's familiar but different. But what I like about the idea behind Tarkov is that it's a, it's an obtuse version of an online game. It's like, yeah, you can use a gun with a scope, but you have to find a scope. Right. And if you want your scope to have infrared, you have to find an infrared thing. And then you have to slot, like you were talking about, you have to slot on your gun rail your scope in line of an infrared thing so that when you see through the scope, it then passes through the infrared and then you can see what's going on there. And I think that's so interesting. Yeah, it's absolutely but wild, in my opinion. I I don't think... We've been talking about what we hope The Last of Us Faction's uh, standalone game is going to be. And the reality is, is that none of the things that would actively excite me do I think would make an actually mass-appealed AAA always you know games as a service game which is clearly what sony wants because that's where money's at but i think that that just means that these games are inherently going to miss me 
because they're going to be too afraid to be unique and weird yeah. in a way that would alienate enough people. Like we love the forest and the Absolutely. forest did surprisingly well for how little budget that it had. But you can sit there and tell me that you really think the forest too, as much as we're excited for it. Do you think it's suddenly going to go from like a couple of million sold to like 50 plus million players? Probably not. And that's because it's a, it's a kind of odd game, but that's what makes it fun. So I don't know. I'm not trying to say that's a hate on Fortnite or Apex or anything. I just, I don't think those types of games do much to separate themselves. And I think it's on purpose. Like they separate themselves enough to have an identity, but they have an identity within online multiplayer shooter world. Right. Realistically. I don't know. Is what it is. Um, Moving on to the next piece, while we're talking about those types of uh, games, we're going to invert that with a studio that's been making that type of game. Respawn is apparently recruiting for a single-player game in the Apex Legends universe, which I'm going to stop right there. Isn't that just a Titanfall universe? I was going to, yeah. Yeah. What's the deal with that, Chris? Because I know Chris is going to, Chris wrote that. Well, I think where the distinction is probably going to fall is that while Apex may be set in the Titanfall world and universe, it's going to be using Apex characters and lore. It's going to be using Apex mechanics and characters and in a way that's more identifiable with Apex than it is to Titanfall. It's kind of, I can see that. Yeah. I love Titanfall though. Titan. Yeah. You can see it behind me, right? Straight up. There is an old school Titanfall poster, right? Yeah. It's Titanfall one. There. No, it's Titanfall two. I don't know where I don't know where I got the poster from. I can't see the bottom of it, but I guess is it you and uh, old BT? Yeah, whatever his name was. Yeah, it's real dark in here, but oh, oh yeah, 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 I see it. it it's funny. You know what that actually kind of looks like since it's very uh, silhouetted out. Huh. It kind of looks. It kind of looks like a Bioshock two, where it's like Big Daddy. I can see that. Yeah, like that. That big, that big hulking uh, silhouette kind of ends up looking like a, a big daddy and something trying to run from it. Either way, I, I can see um, that actually from my <clears throat> my camera. Oh, confidence monitor over there. Uh, continuing on though, job listings have been spotted by Dexerto, indicating that the studio is hiring for a quote Apex Universe FPS incubation project. End quote. Uh, and then the new quote says, "This new single player title." is a developer's dream playground with the freedom to innovate made possible by the unique universe it inhabits, end quote. And that's what one of the job ad reads. Um, As we know, the GeForce leak indicated that Titanfall 3 is coming, and considering the Apex Legends universe is actually the Titanfall universe, this could be an unnecessarily confusing way to say that (laughs) Titanfall 3 is coming. And that's potentially true. There we go. Chris brought it full circle from what we were wondering. If I would have just read the news all the way through, it would have been fine. True. Uh, yeah, I don't know, though. Titanfall's been plagued with so many issues and the hacks that brought down Titanfall 1 and Titanfall 2 is not doing too hot. I just don't know if EA would really waste the the resources, even though it may not be a waste, in my opinion, on a Titanfall 3 when they can make a game that in all intents and purposes is essentially Titanfall 3, but they get to call it Apex something. Yeah, they can kind of just, I don't want to say shoehorn, but put it, like, put uh, it in the game. Yeah, I don't want to say that either, but if, if, 
if basically everyone already knows, let's let's bring it this way. Looking at another series, I've talked a, a lot about, definitely with you, I may have on the show, um, that Warframe is set in the universe of Dark Sector. Yes. And that would be like them choosing to make a Warframe single-player game right now and not calling it Warframe and then a sub-name and instead trying to call it Dark Sector 2. Why would you do that now when everyone knows your series off of Warframe? Yeah, if you're one of those weird people that just happens to love Respawn and know what they've worked on before, you know it's tied to Titanfall. But the average player probably doesn't know it's tied to Titanfall, just like the average Warframe person probably doesn't know that Warframe is a world sequel to Dark Sector. Yes. It's cool that they are, but unnecessary in the just like the calypso uh, protocol is in the PUBG universe not anymore (laughs) was what a dumb call to begin with i think the only reason it's they were trying to find some way to be like hey we're funding your game so we want you to put it in our universe so that we can say it's tied to PUBG. I don't know what the benefit from that would have been. I think it was just somebody wanted to be like haha we're giving you money so we're gonna we're gonna you know what it probably was as stupid as it is Everything has become a Marketing? has become a universe. The MCU has ruined things to where everything has to be a universe. It can't just be that PUBG exists. If we're gonna use, spend our money on PUBG, it's got to be something that we're spending to add to the PUBG universe. Well, so to, that we can continue to make money. To be fair, and I hope I'm consistent when I say this, I wouldn't blame the MCU. I would just blame the success that the MCU had. <laughs> That's fair. I'm not even. I, I get it. The MCU makes tons of money. It's it just does. kind of annoying when everything suddenly has to be connected. And it's funny because Chris was talking about how um, multiverses are kind of like the thing right now. That it's like the hey, a multiverse, so you can just do whatever the hell you want to in your story. And it is kind of true. Like it's kind of annoying. It's like even though there's cool multiverse things you could do. We were talking the other day with uh, Big Seth about. I think it was it was you uh, talking about how it'd be cool to have a multiverse Zelda game where yes. all of the heroes of time come together in one game to fight like the ultimate evil, where it's like, oh maybe maybe all the Ganondorfs and and all that Ganons have all come together in in one timeline and used the Masinko Ha or whatever. <laughs> the who? They, they fused. I said Masinko Ha, which is not correct. That was uh, TN's move, if I remember correct. Oh, yeah. you're Wow. Who remembers anything about TN? Oh, apparently it's... Uh, this is all in my head because of... Uh, Gohan uses it. It's an energy wave used primarily by Gohan, though it was originally a demon clan-style technique that Piccolo, Piccolo passed down to Gohan during his martial arts training. There goes your news from the Dragon Ball fandom. But... I need to rewatch uh, that. No, I was... The, the, what do they actually call the fusion dance? The real word. That's what I was trying to think. But they can just use the Patara earrings or whatever those are called. Patara, yeah. There you go. What is and that dance called? You get super ultimate Ganon. There you go. It's called the fusion dance, you fool. I, I would assume so. <laughs> I'm going to look it up just because I'm curious. What's the actual name for the fusion dance? Fusion Dance is a technique that is introduced by Goku during the Fusion Saga, having learned the technique from Metamorans and other The Fusion world. Saga? Apparently. That ain't His what son, that's really Goten, called, is it? uses with trunks in order to create Gotenks. That's the Boo the purpose Saga. Of the Fusion Dance. 
I mean, I, I, don't, know, I don't know, dude. <laughs> this I is Dragon Ball updates, not fandom. I don't know. I was just consider that part of the Boo saga, but then again, like I just said, that's actually one of my favorite sagas. I need to rewatch Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, the Boo saga is full of a bunch of crap, but it's also really cool. Yeah, that had the whole King Kai stuff in it too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Supreme Kai stuff. Supreme Kai, that's what it was. Which, right. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Uh, apparently, it's called Fusion. F-Y-U-J-O-N <laughs> in the Japanese original. I don't think we ever got a cooler name for it. For, uh, for it. But either way, yeah, it's it's funny that all media kind of bums from other media that's successful. So it's like now I guarantee you someone's out there trying to make a game where all the reboots come together. Do you know what you know what's going to be the new, the new Tomb Raider game is going to be a thing where all of the different eras of lore are going to come together in a new Tomb Raider game. That's going to hit That's how they're doing it. I already know. Uh, what was that other, you, you said you got me thinking about, it. there's like a multiverse movie that came out that looks actually really interesting. It's a multiverse movie. Yeah, it's not like a Marvel movie though. Is it? Is it the one that's uh, everything, everywhere, all at once? Yes. I actually haven't seen that movie, nor did I. I know that that was actually what it was, but it definitely seemed like some kind of odd. I think it's called everything and everyone thing. in the multiverse. It's everything, everywhere, all at once is the name of the movie. Gotcha. Yeah, is what I was what I'm talking about. Oh. It's the one with, uh, I think it's primarily. It's got a lot of. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll call them Asian from a lack of knowing they're all their full on ethnicity, but uh, Eastern, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, they got a, it's got a cast full of uh, people who are of Asian descent. Um, if, if from the trailer, or at least it definitely looks like that. Um, whatever, even though I think Jamie Lee Curtis is in that movie. Whatever, <laughs> if I remember right, streaming website it's on. The the category was like in love with multiverses question mark, and it was part of that. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, yeah, it's definitely some kind of sci-fi multiverse thing. Maybe one of these days I'll watch it. I've heard it's really good, but I've also heard from some people that's a, it's a little overrated. And that is Internet Discourse. It is. <laughs> 2022. Um, all right. Next thing up is leaked July PS Plus uh, games. And we'll see if this is actually accurate. Is this from the same uh, leaker as like a lot the last of three them? If I'm not mistaken, it is. Um, They've all actually, been hold right. on. This is this is videogameschronicle.com. So we'll see because I actually think this is PS Plus extra. Ugh, VGC. Here. So this is not. Yeah, Chris uses them all the time. But no, I'm kidding. I know he had, he specifically put a comment in there of like, "Don't make fun of me." I, yes, love, VGC. I love VGC. Yeah, or whatever he yeah. put in there. Uh, I'm just giving ooh, him a hard Chris, time. No. Uh, so this is not PS Plus games in the traditional sense this is not the monthly essential uh tier this games. is this is, this is going to be tier. new additions to the plus to the premium and extra tiers um Bruh. so we don't know how true this is but earlier today this is what the vgc article says earlier today a reset era user called blackbait 
claimed to have learned of some of the games coming to PlayStation Plus later this month. As spotted by Push Square, Black Bay is an infrequent reset era, uh, reset era, I don't know how you say that, poster who appears to have a good but limited record of accurately leaking information on games ahead of their release, including details on Death Stranding Director's Cut, Skull and Bones, and Microsoft Flight Simulator. So do with that what you will as to the credibility. Um but it was recently confirmed that Stray will be included with PlayStation Plus Extra and Premium, as we know, for July 19th, which is also PS5 and PC release date. Blackbait claims the following games will also be added on the 19th. Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade plus Final Fantasy VII uh, Remake Episode Intermission. That seems like a real big game to join the service, but at the same time, it's like that game's probably sold through everything it's going to sell through. Yeah, in, in a big sense. So this seems like a good addition sense. to that. Uh, Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, Assassin's Creed Unity, Assassin's Creed Rogue Remastered, Assassin's Creed Freedom Cry, and Assassin's Creed The Ezio Collection. All of those are probably joining by way of the Ubisoft Classics. And then lastly, Saints Row 4 Reelected. Um, Sony, the rest of the article says Sony recently launched a revamped. I think this is, the, the rest of it doesn't matter. Those are the games that are rumored to be there. So I guess I can finally play a damn DLC and play integrate uh, and play the episode intermission. Yeah. I've still been needing to for some, that. get some better context as to what we're supposed to do there. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I mean, those aren't bad titles. Like honestly, the only one that really I think is a big addition is final fantasy seven, but I'm sure there'd be a lot of people that love all the, the uh, Assassin's Creed games joining. So, eh, the, the, the real question for that service is how do the games that are added monthly actually add up to Game Pass if this is supposed to be their Game Pass competitor, as so as uh, PlayStation and Jim Ryan have come out to say that it is. So we'll definitely see. Uh, next thing up, the Skull and Bones leak from a few weeks ago uh-huh. has seemingly been confirmed. Ubisoft showed off the game in a recent live stream and gave it a release date, which is again... November 8th, 2022. Rest in peace to the game that Ubisoft decided to launch against the God of War himself. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm pretty sure Forspoken's d- delay was entirely because it was coming out a week before God of War, and there was no way that game was going to have a very long tail if God of War, one of the biggest and clearly most wanted games, because everybody took to the internet to bully everybody. Uh, yeah, this is a weird move. This screams to me of we've got to get it out by a certain date for our shareholders to be happy because of it, it's got to hit a certain date before uh, end of a quarter for us to make this game profitable. It's basically Anthem. You remember how Anthem got pushed out and it was basically confirmed that like it had to be released for the game to make a certain amount of money so that shareholders weren't upset. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever it be. Studio interference. Stupid reason to release a game. Oh, yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Doomed to fail. Uh, I think so, too, sadly. Uh, anything you want to add to that? Because I think that, that, kinda, that news speaks for itself. Yeah, nothing at all. <laughs> I'll play that game for free, Skull and I'll and, see if it will try to replace Sea of Thieves. Uh, it's not going to, though. I have a real yeah, I have a doubt that it will. Unless it can manage to do what Sea of Thieves does, plus some slightly better progression system, which even then I'm I'm already like I understand Sea of Thieves and I like it so and it's free. Yeah, that's true. So 
free for me at least uh next piece of news and a brief announcement on his nacon connect presentation an open world survival game set in the terminator universe was announced to be on the way very few details came out but players can expect to play the game quote in the distant future another game doomed to um, i'm curious we'll see because i actually thought the most recent terminator game was really good the one on ps3 all things considered uh, no, it was the one um, for PS4, and it was called Terminator Resistance. Um, it got a PS5 re-release as well. Great game. Definitely, for like when you play it and you look at it for what it is, like you know it's a double-A tra- uh, game. It's really fun. I don't know. I enjoyed that game, got the platinum. Being open-world survival. Highly. They're going to have to pull off a lot of stuff, in my opinion. They, now, if they made it like the they forest... Are? But with well, I think that that's probably what they mean because the forest is open world. True, but I'm saying, so but yeah, dude, that sounds incredibly fun. And my, it, like, if you actually pull it off, that sounds like what a Terminator game should have always been. You trying to run and hide from Terminators that are actually coming to swap out to cross out the human race. Like, yeah, you can attack them, but it needs to have an element that you're being chased and that you are at the disadvantage. Whereas most Terminator games try and be you're going to shoot and kill the terminators even though you're disadvantaged the game always puts you in a position of power you know yeah Hmm. i'll see that sounds like it could be interesting could be and uh nakon seem to be willing to give quite a bit of budget to stuff this is also the people doing um uh greedfall 2 they're the ones who bought spiders. So yeah, interesting. Could be interesting to see how that goes down as well. I think Greedfall 2 might come before this. So that might be our real tale as to how much money they're going to throw at stuff. Uh, anyway, that is the last piece of news for the day. And that leads us to the new community's take question and therefore main topic of this episode. Uh, and I don't know how much fruit there is at it, but it's something I, I kind of we've talked about loosely throughout the community um, and like the discord and we've had little discussions around it. And I'm kind of curious to get a feel from people of what they actually think it would be. So this comes from Cody McGinnis over on Facebook. He says, I've got a potential future community take question. What is everyone's opinion on the world's or a world's first quadruple a development team? I've heard rumors of Ubisoft and Sony wanting to do this. And then he even went in to talk about how uh, Microsoft had initially built the initiative to be a quadruple A studio uh, and then have kind of tried back pacing that a little bit. Uh, so the question that he brings to the table is what would even make a quadruple A game in the first place? And assuming that one could exist and that we're going to create a category above triple A, what would you like to see? Do you have something in your head that kind of reaches that point to you? Or do you think that maybe we've already hit it and nobody's ever really decided to further specify that? Uh, Saul, do you have any thoughts on that? Man, I it's really hard to say what a quadruple a game will look like like so that just really means high budget right but like yeah for anybody who may not know uh why the difference between indie double a and triple a is 
Indie is typically self-funded or very small funded. Double A is funded by a bigger publisher, but not a publisher to the same degree as, you know, Sony or, or Microsoft or Ubisoft or whatever. And even Ubisoft and them occasionally do double A games. They're just lower budget for market and uh, game development. And then triple A is like your Call of Duties, your Last of Us, your God of Wars, uh, your Assassin's Creed. It's very high budget, very high marketed games. Yeah. Just so we have that baseline. So quadruple A would have to be a step somehow above triple A. Continue, Saul. Well, I was just going to say, imagine that. If The Last of Us 2 is triple A, then what is quadruple A? Like that's that's unthinkable right it's now, a, right? Like I can't, I can't imagine what it is. It's a big question. Yeah. I... Um, I don't know, man. That's I. I honestly don't think that that's a thing that could be possible. It's hard to say because Triple A has just always moved with how things have gotten right. Like I don't. Devil May Cry Three on PS Two was at one point in time the expectation around a triple a game and whenever whenever devil may cry 5 which in every way shape and form has better production values better everything way bigger development team more marketing budget behind it every possible facet that can go into these things they didn't reclassify it as quadruple a it's instead that triple a has continued to grow as the baseline for the market standard for AAA has continued to grow. So where I think quadruple A, if, we, if this was going to exist, would be, as I would actually call quadruple A to essentially be the way that we're going to talk about games like Fortnite. This, this is my take on it. I may have said something similar to this on the show before. I know I've talked with someone about it before, whether it was on show or not. So much money and so many interesting ideas for marketing and how to spend money to draw attention to your games have been done in Fortnite. And so much money is made as a result, and that money is poured mostly back into Fortnite. And of course, the a lot of it's poured back into Fortnite. The rest of it goes towards Epic's other endeavors like the Epic Game Store. But point being is that prior to Fortnite, I don't think anybody thought about a game holding a concert inside of the game as not only a means to celebrate the player base that's there, but also as a means to market the game to more people who may try it for the first time in order to be part of this moment in time event of a concert happening digitally inside of a game map that you normally fight each other in. Or to announce that Palpatine And as far as I'm... Yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And the point being is that I don't know that quad, I don't think that AAA is going to be surpassed from the way that people look at budget, but I think that the way you look at how much of that budget is reoriented toward marketing and poured back into the game, I think a game like Fortnite and Apex and games like that, but Fortnite's the clear winner in my head. Grand Theft Auto Online may be the second place for that of a game having so much money being spent in active development and to secure things that make you want to continue to come back to the game and try the game in new, weird, exciting ways. 
And I think that that might be the best way for me to describe what I think quadruple A should be looked at as. I think you could even look at something like Destiny 2 and argue that maybe it's quadruple A because of how much time and money and marketing are spent pushing this game forward and it's never ending. It's always Destiny 2. It's still always been Destiny 2 for all these years, but that money is continuing to push through the game and they're continuing to, instead of working on something new, I think the differential would be that AAA would be a game that you put out and it has its time in the limelight and it's done. And I think Quadruple A would be you do all the things you expect of a AAA title, but you do them in perpetuity. Yeah. See, and, and that's how the budget ends up skyrocketing. Because if you don't think that the budget for Destiny 2 or Fortnite is in the hundreds, hundreds of millions, like at this point, it definitely is. Well, go ahead, Saul. I was going to say, I think honestly, Quadruple A could replace games as a service in terms of a title. I kind of would like that better. <laughs> that could be the distinguishable title. To pull like for high quality because it has to be right with that kind of budget, it has to be high quality. Um, but it has like it could be a a distinguishable thing between a game that's just going to continue ongoing and then a game that a company intends on putting thousands and thousands of dollars into. I mean, well, you know, hundreds of thousands and thousands of dollars into, yeah. I mean. I just like the only way a game's budget continues to get to a point where you could look at it and say like this is surpassed what you would consider a budget for a triple A game because like dude, the last of us was like two hundred million dollars the last of us two is like a two hundred million dollar game um, and you look at Fortnite Fortnite is almost undoubtedly while it may not have started as such it is almost undoubtedly now by becoming as big as it has and all the money they spend to continue to pull people towards it and stick around with it it's almost undoubted that that game has, and Grand Theft Auto V, of course, as well, probably surpassed a development budget of well over $500 million. Oh, yeah. But it's ironic because you look at the game and you don't see the same kind of graphical raw output that you that you see from like The Last of Us 2. But that's because The Last of Us 2 is a moment, it's a flash in the pan, whereas these games are continual and they continue to build on themselves in a way that, that's the only way you could get to that kind of budget is by continuing to develop the game over and over and over. And it's, it's always in development. You know, Fortnite is never not in development until they finally decide to end it. I guess you could make the argument that maybe the first quadruple A game to ever hit was World of Warcraft when it finally reached like its seventh expansion. I, I can almost imagine that the development cost for World of Warcraft is if you look at every expansion has probably surpassed a billion dollars. We definitely want adjusted for inflation. Um, but I think that it's got to be something like that. It's got to be something where the budget continues to grow as the game continues to exist. And while Call of Duty has ungodly, ungodly budgets, eventually that game comes to a close and it's done. Warzone is the first time that that's not happened yet. And it sounds like it, might be happening from Jason Schreier's things, but I think that that's the only way I could really, I could really distinguish them. I don't know that there's a reason besides trying to buzzword market yourself to throw the term quadruple a around. Like when Microsoft did that 
and when Sony talk about that, they're clearly trying to tantalize people who care enough by saying it's going to be so high quality. It's going to look so ridiculous and be so photo real and have so much, you know, that it's just going to look beyond anything you've expected really in AAA. But was The Last feel. of Us 2 not already that? Are you t- you're going to sit there and look at The Last of Us 2 and tell me that wasn't already well above any other AAA game in that space? Well, that's why I brought at it that up. Point, <laughs> yeah, fair point. Yeah, it's like that's you're telling me that the amount of detail, the gameplay, the graphics, the story, the voice acting, the motion capture acting, you're going to tell me that the budget with that game isn't quadruple A because I can't name another game that's as high quality as that game is. God of War comes in close, right? The original yeah. Last of Us for the time Certainly. But mm-hmm. what surpasses that? Like over time, sure, games with these massive budgets, like and we can go back into that in a weird way of like maybe maybe quadruple A is just a incredible high budget game to the service. Yeah. I think that for me personally, until the industry actually finds a way to do it. It's the only thing I can really look at that I think points to something in that way. If we always use, if we categorize games by budget, then, I mean, arguably, if AAA has always been the cream of the crop, the only way that you can surpass that is by continuing to be the cream of the crop for three plus years with no end in sight. And that's how your budget continues to balloon to such a degree. Not because your budget is ballooning before the game's ever released, like something where The Last of Us would be, uh, where The the Last of Us is a strictly single-player game and had a budget of 200 million. Uh, games like Call of Duty probably have budgets of three to 400 million, but there's an online component and huge marketing campaigns, much like The Last of Us had. Um, so point being, that's a budget that has an end in sight. And then it's wrapped up and done. Um, so I don't know. I think I may even see if I can get that to stick. Just call it, instead of calling games as a service, I'm just going to start calling them quadruple A games. Yeah, you'll be the see if I can remember that for myself. The sole person behind it. <laughs> Who knows? Watch the irony be that whenever Perfect Dark comes out, because you know we've barely seen anything of it. If Perfect Dark is supposed to be the the first quadruple A game from a quadruple A studio, uh then watch it be that Perfect Dark is just a game to the service. That's going to be hilarious. I I am having what? a hard time envisioning a first-person shooter from Microsoft that doesn't have some kind of multiplayer component to it. Call me call me nar- or pessimistic, but I don't see it. Well, even the original Perfect Dark had multiplayer, but I guess the big difference is that you know that if they're going to include multiplayer at all, there's no way they're going to they're going to shy away from games as a service. They're going to lean into it because the game's going to be on Game Pass. Yep, I was going to say the Game Pass. Perfect service for games as a service. And secondarily, if you're doing online now, for the most part, you're doing online with the intention of being games as a service if you have a game that even brushes against gameplay elements that thrive in that space. Yeah, I agree. And so, that's that's kind of the tricky thing is, you know, I I have always said that I'm a big proponent for Games Pass. I love it, but like, there's that caveat. And if you're going to tell me your first person shooter game is going to be a quadruple A game, I'm thinking really expansive and supported multiplayer for years to come, unlike Halo Infinite. It's kind of weird. I, 
I don't know if you remember this. There was an interview a while back uh, with Matt Booty, who is over the um, Xbox. I think he's head of Xbox Game Studios. And he was talking. I'm trying to see if I can find it. I'm trying to see. But he was talking about how a lot of the studios they've purchased since Game Pass has become a thing, which we all know they've purchased a lot of them. Most of them will not be making per his wording. And I don't remember exact wording, so please don't quote me like that. But he mentioned a lot of them will not be making AAA games. Quote them. Instead, they'll be making, and I think his actual quote was something along the lines of, we're not going to be making 90-hour AAA games. I think he said it'll be more indie and AA, and every now and then they'll get as close as they can to AAA. And that sounds right. Because if you're including these games for free, there's no way you're giving them AAA budget and can afford that. Right. I mean, you can because you're Microsoft, but there's no way you can do that and turn a profit. So if the whole idea is to turn a profit, you're going to try and make games that appeal to people. Yep. They can pick up and play for a long period of time, but they don't cost you as much as Call of Duty costs to make or as much as The Last of Us costs to make. Because at the end of the day... If you can make a game for a hundred million that can keep subscribers and grow new subscribers versus a two hundred million dollar game that's a flash in the pan, you're ultimately going to make more money, uh, and you're going to have more varied games. People are actually going to be like, "Oh, it's cool! Microsoft has got exclusive indie style games, even though they're clearly not going to be indie. Oh, they have more double A style games like Sea of Thieves would not exist in a triple A world. That's just the reality." Uh, excuse me, sir. Golden Crossbones, we just read about it in the news. It's going to be. I'm pretty sure that when that game comes a out, quadruple A game. If that, if that, if that game's triple A, it's only triple A because it's been in development for eight years. Yeah. <laughs> and at that point, they're like, guys, there's no way we can't call it triple A. The budget was 400 million because we couldn't make the damn game. But that's a joke, clearly. But yeah, um, it, it's just interesting to think about that. While we have Microsoft talking about a quadruple A studio. We also have Microsoft talking about the essentially claiming without saying it, the unsustainability of triple A at the game pass level. Yeah. They may have the occasional triple A game just to, as a kind of like a Halo loss Infinite. leader. Like, you know, when you go into, yeah, well, you, you know, when you go into Kroger or, you know, if you go into Sam's here and you buy their $5 rotisserie chicken, that costs them more than $5. But the hope is that, you go in to buy the $5 chicken and you get a hot dog and you end up with a bunch of other stuff while you're at it. You're like, ah, I'm going to go come get this chicken. I forgot. I need some sodas and I need some, uh, I need this. And all those other things are marked up a lot to counteract for the fact that they lost on the chicken. So uh, is occasionally Microsoft going to be like, Hey, here's a, here's a Hideo Kojima game. That's single player only. Uh, or if it is multiplayer, it's only going to be multiplayer like Death Stranding was. And it's a big AAA experience. But those are going to be the exception, not the rule. Game Passes and Microsoft exclusives are going to live off of the AA, high-quality AA uh, end. And I think that's right. If you think about Hellblade, Saul, Hellblade was an indie game. And their whole idea was to make an indie game that had a AAA level uh, quality without having to have that budget. And even though Hellblade looks amazing, I wouldn't be surprised if Hellblade 2 is still a cheap game to make because you bought a studio that learned how to make a game of that quality for cheap. Right. And that means you get to have your cake and eat it too as Microsoft. You get to have a game that people will look at as AAA without having to spend that money. So 
I, I'm going to rest on that being my stand on quadruple A. I think it's mostly a buzzword that studios will just throw out there to try and drum up hype and get marketing because you're of course going to get articles written about the word, the, the wording of quadruple A. Uh, your game never has to actually meet that standard. <laughs> I will, I will give People's, you the responsibility to spread that like wildfire to make it essentially mean quadruple A equals games of the service. Yes. Maybe I can get there, uh, but I think that's going to wrap up this episode. And that means of course, we're going to pass that question on to you we are. in your head. What is a quadruple A game? Is that something that may exist in the future? Is there is it something that you have a visual of in your head, or do you think we've already gotten there and one game already exudes what that is? Uh, let us know by going onto the Twitter at Triangle SQRD, going over to the Facebook. Once more, that's Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. Ask to be entered into that group, and we'll gladly let you in. Or you can join the Discord by clicking the link in the description below. Hop on in there. Go to the community's take section where we'll post it. And you can talk with it. You can talk to us about our general day-to-day things, music, games, uh, what we talk about in the podcast. We have a podcast open discussion uh, section that you can chat with us about. Uh, and if you want to be like the other cool kids that get cool colored names in our Discord, you can head over to patreon.com slash nartech and support the show for as little as $1 per month, which does a lot to help us on covering the cost of everything involved with doing a show. So we're forever grateful for those of you who do that. Uh, and I think from that, uh, Saul, do you want to... Uh, add anything else because I don't think I think I may have stole the the round in the show out from you no you're fine yeah um, as I alluded to uh, earlier in this episode stay tuned for episode 270 where there is some pretty big news coming up uh, I'm not sure how we'll go about the, the full episode but I'm definitely going to be a bombshell in there um, for that, and so I'll just leave it kind of. At It'll that. be show changing. Show changing. Uh, so I'll just I'll leave it at that, um, and it's uh it's it's gonna be interesting. So we will uh, catch you guys for episode two seventy in a week from now, and uh, thank you all for all of our patreons and everybody involved that's been involved with the show for so long. And uh, Brett, I'll let you lead off with all that. All right, guys, shout out to our patrons, our newest one, Mr. A.K.A. Sean. Thank you so much. As well as Awesome Dave, 1337, Aztec King, Legion 69, The Lord Corgi, Salvador Garcia, Hammond Dagger, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Joshua Lago, Kevin Bacon Bits, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, Sean, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Constantly Kenny, Matthew Green, Sean Santarude, Stephen Salazar, Shadowist, and my name is Dan. Thank each and every one of you. We'll see you next week. Thank you.